Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. Hey everyone, today we have Michelle Kelly, uh, one of our newer trainers. Michelle, I am so grateful that you could be with us today. Can you start us out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you um, started homeschooling and how you found leadership education and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been homeschooling for more than 20 years. So I have five kids and my oldest is 23. And we decided before she was even born that we were going to homeschool, which is a little weird because, you know, you don't usually, it's not usually on your radar yet before you have kids. But my husband had a really um, good, good friends of his who kind of adopted him into their family who homeschooled. And I met them while we were engaged and as we were you know, going through our courtship and everything. And we discussed, you know, what we wanted to do for our kids. And we just saw how amazing their kids were and decided that that's what we wanted to do for our kids too. And I think part of it was by the time I was done with high school, I had kind of lost all my love of learning. I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to ever <laughs> do that again. And it just, I, it, yeah. And so I didn't want that for my kids. And um, so homeschooling just seemed like the right path for us. And over the years, we've kind of seen why we were guided in that direction and you know we have our whole list of 100 plus reasons why we homeschool now but <laughs> really it just started out by being influenced by someone else who was doing it and seeing how wonderful their family was so that's how our journey started and we didn't really know about leadership education for a while um we had conducted some conferences that had um you know, the, the thomas jefferson forum for a while we've gone to some of those but it was really getting involved with a Commonwealth school where we learned um, more about the principles of leadership education. And so we kind of found our community first and then <laughs> learned more and caught the vision of those principles. So that's how we- How old were your kids when you, you first started like going to a Commonwealth? So my oldest was 11 when we started. And so it's been, 13, this is our 13th year in our Commonwealth. And um, it was just, it was only in like their second year, I think. And a friend of mine had been doing it with her kids. And over that summer, she said, hey, we're doing this thing. You need to come because it's going to be awesome. And didn't really tell me anything more than that, except, hey, just come. And I'm like, all right. And we had been doing another, you know, class with our younger kids together. And so I was like, okay, I'll come. Let's see what this is about. <laughs> um, it was the first year that our school had a juniors program, which that really, that was one of the things that got me excited about being a part of it because my kids were kind of at the ages where they were starting to do a lot of things separately. And I didn't really like that feeling. I liked us being together. And so being a part of a family school or a family commonwealth, we were able to go all of us together on the same day and, you know, be a part of this amazing thing. And I didn't feel like it was pulling us apart from each other, being, you know, pulled in different directions. Instead, we were being, you know, learning together, creating friendships with lots of, you know, the same families. And so, you know, my oldest daughter's friends, you know, their younger siblings are my younger kids' friends. And, <laughs> and so it's, um, I really, that was what kind of hooked me in as I saw that we could do this as a whole family kind of thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I have um, the community that I helped build. We had a couple of years where we had to have the younger kids at a different location. And we noticed how, well, first of all, we missed them. <laughs> we really missed them. <laughs> But they had all kinds of um, behavior problems with younger kids and the older kids, actually, even with the older kids as well. But when we put them together, the younger kids wanted to act like the older kids and the older kids 
um, recognized the need for them to you know, to be a good example to the younger kids. And yeah. it was just such so so much more harmonious when we had all of them together, you know, from a you know community standpoint. I, and I was really surprised at that. I thought it would make it easier having it separate and all of that. I mean, because we always had um, something for the younger kids to do because all of us had younger kids that needed right. to go someplace, and um, so that was we had to have something, but yeah. yeah and we, we really saw that as um, the kids were friends when they were younger, as they, you know, first they saw their older sibling doing scholar things and they wanted to be like them. You know, they saw the cool things they were doing in Shakespeare or the sword they were getting from Sword of Freedom and they wanted to, you know, follow in their path. But also the them being able to make connections as they were younger when they came into Shakespeare or Key as first year scholars, they were able to not, you know, already feel kind of part of the group and it helped them excel in there being able to do hard things together and to one of our um, part of our mission statement for our school is that we want to have positive peer influence and that's where we would see that we would see this amazing positive peer influence from the friendships that they were already building and um, and then we you know obviously we would have people sometimes join as older kids too, but they were coming into a group that was very wanting to be positive and help push each other in good ways and um, help build each other up and just have a really great positive environment for everybody. So one of the things that I think is very interesting, um, I was reading. Um, uh was a, a great conversation by Mortimer Adler I've referred to this before in the podcast but um one of the things he said is is that public school was a great experiment that we decided to, to try <laughs> and um and, and and he's not a huge fan of the public schools and and you can tell but but anyways it, one of the things he's like it's a big social experiment where we just are trying to see what happens, but it's not natural in any way. And so I think it's very interesting to see how like it, the family school model is more maybe what would be an, a more natural thing to actually for, for us as, as, as human beings to experience, you know, for like a lot hundreds of years prior to public school like that really was a, a, a lot of how kids were raised was in a community right. within a family right they there wasn't really this like vast amounts of um separation and it's so funny because um we, I was literally just before we got on this podcast I was reading the red fern grows to my son and I had I had read that when I was a kid and or probably teenager because I didn't really read a lot but anyways and um <laughs> the in there he's homeschooled and I didn't even know he was homeschooled and yeah it's it's funny because he's walking through the town and he's he's as he's walking through this town because he's like a country kid they're making fun of him and they're laughing at him and they're mocking him and um he's just like commenting like what's happening to him as he's walking through this town and then he gets to this little place with all these um kids are are at school and he's like what the heck is this like everybody's the same age and all running around like and having fun he's I guess he sees recess and he's like and the kids were just like they saw him and they just started laughing at him and making fun of him and like and teasing him mm -hmm. and he's just like oh I guess that's just what city folk do or whatever <laughs> like <they're> just <laughs> you know and then so it was an interesting thing to like see how this this guy was like you know the, the kids like well what grade are you in he's like um I don't know. He's like, well, wh what do you do? He's like, well, my mom teaches me at home, and he and he's like, I can do everything you can do. I can just I just do it at home, and um, I just thought it was really interesting to kind of see like sometimes I think the one of the negative things that happens through public school, and not to like dish on public school all the whole time, but 
is this this constant comparison between yourself and your peers, which then creates this a very natural, easy way to criticize, laugh, and belittle someone because you're always constantly comparing yourself, right? Whereas in the family mm-hmm. school model, you're not going to compare yourself to a 16-year-old when you're five. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's just, like, who does that, right? Like, that's just yeah. not natural right because if you do then you get like someday I want to be like that right and so it it naturally lends itself to not having this like bickering and belittling that happens because you'd be like oh wait we're all on different planes and we're all trying to achieve greatness this is great let's help each other get there so it's just interesting to kind of see like the dynamics that happens in the two different school systems and you know it's kind of cool to see the commonwealth is creating a culture where we're both leading by example and then trying to emulate those examples. So I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's cool. So um, one of my daughters, she had, um, she was one of those who reading comes a little bit harder to her and it took her longer to be able to read. And she had some trouble in a class at our church because she got to the age where like everyone else expected that those age of kids to be able to read at a certain level and she couldn't and but the teachers just kind of expected it and she got to the point where she didn't want to go to that class anymore because she was afraid they would call on her to read and make fun of her and um it just broke my heart because I'm like oh they just don't understand that everyone doesn't have to know the same things at the same time you know kind of breaking out of that um box of having to be in grade levels and know the same exact thing as the person that's the same age as you but you know by the time she got to Shakespeare she had some fabulous Shakespeare mentors and they did the Shakespeare fair that year and they had it as a big um, it was actually a fair where you could like go and they had um, a photo booth where you could dress up like Shakespeare things and one of the things they had her doing was she had a puppet show theater where people were coming and filling out a Shakespeare Mad Lib. <laughs> and then they were, um, they picked a few of the Mad Libs that someone wrote and she and one of the other boys or two of the other boys were going to be doing a puppet show of the Mad Libs. And I expected that she would be one of the people doing the puppets because she didn't like to read publicly and she's also super introverted and shy like me and so just being in front of people was hard for her let alone reading in front of people and so they got up there on the stage with their little puppet theater and she stood to the side with the papers to read the stories and I was like blown away because she had never read like publicly like that before in front of a large and this was like our whole commonwealth you know 30 families over 100 people there and she got up there and read those things and read the stories as the boys acted it out and I just started crying because (laughs) she wouldn't have been able to do that in a different environment and I just went over and I hugged her Shakespeare mentors I'm like thank you for building up her confidence and making this a um place where she could grow and thrive even with something that's hard for her and it was just beautiful (laughs) a beautiful moment for for me to see so yeah when you when you come out of that box they can do so many amazing things when we allow them to yeah belief plays such a huge part I feel like into the success of like of of a student because, you know, here's the mentor being like, oh, yeah, she can totally do this, you know, and then like, oh, maybe I can. Whereas like, you know, in the other classroom, there's this like stigma of like, uh, like, oh, you're not the same. Or, you know, like, like it's, it's there's a different, I, I think that as human beings, like we, we relish and we thrive and we do well in an environment where people are supportive and believe in us. And yeah we we don't do well when people are you know oh my gosh that kid's such crazy you know like you know like we don't do well in that <laughs> like <laughs> people always tell me be like how can you like love the really hard to love kids <laughs> and mm-hmm. i'm like and I'm like well 
well, someone has to, and and I'm just going to be the one that's just <laughs> always going to believe that they're going to figure this out. I'm just always going to be that person because I was one of those really hard to love kids and I looked like a total failure and I probably was a total failure, but like I had people in my life and especially adults in my life who just 100% believed and loved me. And I turned out totally fine in my opinion. And I wouldn't have been, I don't think I would have if I didn't have those adults who just chose to believe in me. You know, and I'm sure it wasn't easy choice for them, but like, it's like, that's one of the things I love about mentoring. It's like, it gives you the opportunity to be that one is like, everyone else doesn't think Frodo's going to make it, but I'm going to believe in Frodo. I'm just going to believe in Frodo. <laughs> Maybe because he's our only mm-hmm. chance, but like, <laughs> you're our only chance, guys. So I'm going to believe in you. <laughs> so what has been one of your favorite uh, projects to mentor? So let's see, I've mentored most of the projects except for Shakespeare and Key. Um, so I've done all the other ones. And I really love Pyramid Project and Georgics. Um, I think they complement each other really well, the principles that they're learning. And I, I love those. I, lo- I love when my kids, when my scholars have had those prior to being in my quest classes, because then I can pull all those amazing principles into what we're learning in the quest classes. Like right now I'm mentoring quest three and we just finished reading um, Wild Swans. And we had our discussion on on Marxism and communism and how we were like, okay, you remember all those really cool Georgics principles you guys learned? Where are they in Wild Swans? What happened to them? And they're like, oh, they're not there. I'm like, yes, they're not there. (laughs) What happens when you don't have those principles? You know, um, when you're not, when you don't have ownership, you know, real estate ownership, when you don't have, um, you know, the freedom to choose your own mission or providence, you know, when you're not allowed to have providence in your life. And um, yeah, so I I love being able to connect the principles that way. Um, Yeah, but probably Pyramid Project and and Quest 3 are my favorite to mentor, just because I think the impact and not only the impact, but I think that they they teach things that you don't find in other classes. Like, um, you know, there's you can find. I mean, I love all the projects, um, but you know, in key and and sword, the, the history based ones, they're great, and we teach them in a different way. But some of the subject material you can find other places. But like the subject material of pyramid and Georgics and the quest classes, you don't find anywhere else. And when you can see that, then it makes them worthwhile to mentor and to to have your kids put in the effort to to take them. So I think did that really answer that question? I'm not sure because I love, <laughs> I love no, them yeah. all. That's totally, yeah. I, I don't know if you can pick just like one sometimes. It's like, this one was awesome for this reason. And this one was awesome for this one. So you said that like um, the Georgics and Pyramid, those are things you can't find anywhere else. So if I was totally new to Lemmy, what are the things that Georgics and Pyramid and Quest are giving your kids that I don't know that my kids need? Does that make sense? Because, yeah, yeah. So, like, what's what's unique about them that would yeah, make yeah. you want to choose them over another type of class? Yeah. So it's really about. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of answer this by sharing kind of my mentoring story. Uh, the first project I ever mentored was Pyramid and Georgics, and then the next year I mentored Quest One and Two with the same group of scholars, and then the next year. I mentored Quest 3 with the same group of scholars. So I kind of went on this journey with my oldest daughter's group of scholars um, in mentoring these the projects one year after another like that. And I saw this really cool pattern of in Pyramid, um, we're learning to think like a scientist. We're learning about truth, how that's a cornerstone for being um, a scientist and understanding our world. And that we, especially now in our world, we need to know, you know, what are our sources of truth? Where where do we find truth? And the characteristics of the scientist um, help us on that's the how, how we find, 
how we can find truth by, you know, noticing patterns, by thinking of I wonders, by wondering about what's going on around us in the world, um, by challenging the prevailing assumptions in our world, by reading original texts, not just going off what, you know, what someone else says or um, thinks, but reading original works for yourself, embracing failure, you know, learning from our failures, knowing that it's okay to fail. And, and so for me, it's, it's this journey of truth. And then in, in our school, we teach Georgics after, after pyramid and, um, the principles in Georgics are these principles of freedom that in order to have a free society, you need to have these principles. And so you need to be able to have the freedoms to have providence, to have mission, to be able to experience things, to gain self-validation so you can know that you can do the hard things that will come in your life. Um, and then in when you get into quest one and two, you so you've now studied, you know, what truth is and how to find it and some true principles. And in quest one, you start studying these amazing statesmen and women who like Martin Luther, he went through the process of finding truth. He went to his source of truth, the Bible, and he saw in his society things that were wrong that weren't working the way that they were supposed to based off of his knowledge and of truth from the Bible. And so he tried to fix it. He tried to correct the forms, the um, systems that weren't right, working right. And, you know, um, you tend to cause a lot of ruffles and, and ruffle people's feathers when you do that, who are <laughs> the powers that be. And so he definitely did that with the, the Catholic Church. And but he stood his ground. And and why? Because he knew that he found truth and he couldn't recant it because he knew it. And he, you know, he asked them in his, you know, um, trial, if, if you can show me in the Bible where I'm wrong, how I'm wrong, then I will totally recant what I've said and what I've taught. But they couldn't because he was right. <laughs> he had found those true principles in the Bible and they couldn't um, prove him wrong. And so he then had to go forward into the unknown, doing the hard thing, which, you know, changed the world. Um, you know, we have a lot of the freedoms in our country today, I think partly because of some of the things that he did in um, standing up for what he found to be true. And so in quest two or in quest one, all the people that they study do that same thing. It's a pattern that they're seeing, um, whether it's Patrick Henry or Martin Luther King or um, Gandhi. Um, my fourth daughter is in quest right now and she just finished writing her Gandhi paper about, um, so the prompt was about, you know, should you break um, laws if you think they're unjust? And should you accept the consequences of those laws? And she, you know, she's the youngest one in her class. She's only 14. And, um, but she'd worked really hard so that she could um, be in this group of kids with her, with a lot of her friends. And I, I just have to say, we have 20 kids in our Quest 1 and 2 class this year. It is crazy huge. Yeah. Um, we have some fabulous, amazing mentors who are helping in that class this year um but the kids all wanted to be together and so we didn't want to break up the class into a smaller class and so um they're making it work but yeah she's learning amazing things about these people and you know I pulled out her Gandhi essay because we were just um working on it together and in the last part of it her conclusion she's like so she says you know what Gandhi did in his life was meaningful he understood that we can do great things by fighting the problems in the world that are truly unjust but in a peaceful way and it's our moral obligation to break unjust laws if the law is truly unjust the world will not change unless someone like you and me stands for truth and freedom and then she quotes gandhi saying in a gentle way you can shake the world so that's that's the amazing thing of of these projects is that they see this they learn about truth and true principles, and then they see it happen in other, you know, these people that they study see that pattern in their lives, and it makes them see how they can go forward and do the same thing. 
and they can stand for what they know to be true and go forth and change the world. So that's what I would share with people who are, who, that, I, that I do share with people who are coming into our Commonwealth, who are, are new to help them catch that um, vision of why, why do you wanna do these classes instead of just you know a charter school or um, an online class or something that, um, you know, the, the facts and figures and things, those are things that we can learn at any time, you know, whether we're, you know, 10 or 50, whatever, we can always learn those things. But learning about the principles of truth and of freedom and how those apply in our life and how to use them to see the real problems in the world so that we can then help to solve those problems, that's, that's what I want my scholars to come away with. <laughs> that's what I want my kids to go out into the world and do. So. so I had like a really cool epiphany while you're talking. So there's, um, I think it's uh, Piaget. He talks about um, the development of the child. And he talks about between the ages of like 16 to like 25, there's this intense need to fight for a cause. Like just, um, and, and he talks about how like, it's just this intense desire to rectify the wrongs in the world and like, change things and so that's why you see like a lot of kids like rebelling against stuff or like pushing against the norm or or you can see this rebellious teenager or this you know young adult go find yourself it's it's kind <laughs> of like this psychological development of the of the I guess he called it like the development of the ego or the self is this need to to find oneself and then find something worth fighting for so that's why you see like whenever there's a war that starts or something like that, it's like that young 18 year old kid that's like, oh, I'm going to go out there and conquer the world. Right. Um, and it's like, it's a very natural part of, of the progression of the, the, like the, our human development and what happens to us. And, and so um, one of the things that Jordan Peterson criticizes a lot of religious organization is he's like, you're losing your youth because you're not giving them a cause to fight for or purpose to engage in or a bigger picture of how they could impact things. And so, of course, they're going to go off and, and find some other thing that will rev them up and give them energy and, and let them go out and fight for things and, you know, you know, be the, you know, the, 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 what, I don't know what they call radical revolutionary people that, 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 that they'll give them that cause. And so the epiphany I had is like, it, through this process of the projects, we're teaching them that it's essential for you to have the skills to be able to recognize, know, and establish truth. Yep. And once you have those skills, then you need to know how to to start to have impact. But if you just go into this world and you're just like, well, hi, I'm young, I have energy. I, I, you know, I could go do whatever I want. Then, you know, like it's going to end up being just like creating a lot of chaos. Like one of the people yes. I follow on YouTube, her name is Amala. And uh, she used to be with PragerU, but anyway, she was just talking about how like she was so revved up and, you know, a super intense activist. And then she started listening, like, whoa, what have I, teaching what I'm believing like you know like this isn't what I like the I'm miserable and this isn't true and and but there's so many people who are like trying to get the youth to, to do that and I feel like we if we just give our kids um knowledge about x y and z and fill in all the subjects it doesn't it's not as fulfilling it doesn't give us much purpose but if we like here's the tools you need to be able to find truth and the specific truths that you need to fight for and then go out and engage and, and do something with your life like it's so much more empowering than just go like yeah. what do you want to do with your life rather than like or become rather than like what do you want to do for nine to five <laughs> like yeah yeah it's totally totally changes the paradigm changes what they focus on changes, you know, how they react to things. And that goes right into, you know, in quest three, where we're studying, you know, the different worldviews of our society and really looking at, okay, what do they, why do they believe what they believe? Why do they do what they do? Um, because that, that gives you power to understand other people. But at the same time, you know, in quest three, we ask them to write their own personal manifesto which is a statement of what they believe, you know, what do they believe about these different things we're studying about 
theology, about philosophy, which most of them have never, you know, maybe they've thought a little bit about theology because they come from religious family, but like they haven't really thought much about philosophy or ethics or, um, you know, history or economics um, beyond like, okay, there's capitalism and socialism and that's it. You know, <laughs> they haven't thought much deeper than that. And so to expose them to these different things and um, help them to think, okay, what do you think about these things? What, where do you go for your, to find truth? How do you know what you know? Because sometimes it's easier to know what you know, but not why you know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. and to, you know, show where, why you believe what you believe, because that's the part that's going to give them a foundation. And I tell my Quest 3 scholars, you know, I don't want you to go out into the world, whether it's in a college class or in a conversation with a coworker or with a family member, and have their worldview sway yours without your permission. <laughs> if you change something that you believe that's one of your core beliefs, I want you to do it deliberately, not because you're caught unaware and you don't know how to respond or, um, you know, someone persuades you without your permission. And so helping them to see why people believe other things and um, how those beliefs then change their, you know, actions in in and how they want to solve problems in society is, is really eye-opening for them. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. So in, in one of my past lives, I was a um, childbirth educator <laughs> and uh, a doula. And I worked with a couple of midwives in, when I lived in Las Vegas. And one of them came to my childbirth class um, to talk to the students that I was teaching. And after the class, you know, I got to talking and I was kind of venting some frustrations because I'd been at a birth in a hospital and I was frustrated with some of the things the doctors and nurses were doing. And she said, she said, she said, okay, I understand where you're coming from. She said, however, you have to understand that their core belief is that if they don't do X, Y, and Z, that mothers and babies will die. And so that's that's what's guiding their actions. And it was a huge shift of my thinking because I was just like, oh, oh, they're being annoying. You know, the doctors are being, they're not listening to what their patient wants. They're, you know, just kind of there to be a pain. <laughs> and her sharing that with me helped me to see, and this was kind of like, I think the first time where I realized, okay, someone's core beliefs, when you understand those, then you can understand why they do what they do. And it made me um, have a little bit more grace for the doctors that I would work with or the nurses and um, not get as frustrated so easily. Wouldn't always agree still, but I could at least understand better and maybe communicate in a different way that would help them understand where I was coming from or where my client was coming from. And um, so, having experienced that, then once I started teaching Quest 3, I'm like, oh yeah, this is just like an extension of that, coming to understand people's core beliefs and how and why they do things. And it's really powerful. And um, I want, yeah, I want all the moms and dads in my commonwealth to understand it as well as all the scholars, because I feel like that was something that I missed out on in my public school education was I wasn't taught, you know, how to understand other people's, you know, beliefs and where they came from. Um, and, and it's really, um, I think it's one of those things that instead of seeing the chaos that we, you were talking about, Tati, happening where problems aren't being solved, um, like in my daughter's paper about Gandhi, she kind of talked about some of the riots and things that have happened here in our country in the last few years and she's like what what did those do they didn't all they did was create chaos they didn't solve any problems they 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 just created chaos and so there's got to be a different way to 
be able to solve, come together and solve the problems of our country. So, end of the world, I guess. Yeah, it's also <laughs> one of the things that, that like you're talking with realizing I did have that education, right? Like I did have that opportunity to to have a knowledge of of what I believed and um again I don't have a lot of memories prior to like going through this education right so I don't really know what my life was like before I was like no this is how you find truth and this is how you do it right so every time I come across a situation where someone will be like this is what I believe or whatever and I'll ask them well how'd you get there and they don't know I'm like totally just like wait how do you believe or know like something but don't know how you got there and but yet you're you're there like like I mean we can't even have a conversation until you know how you got there because I don't even know how to talk to you because you're just just pulling it out of thin air like you just got to give me something because then we can talk about that but like it's just it's just interesting to like you don't realize because in my personal opinion like you know my siblings have taken different paths in life and gone different roads but we've all chosen them like not yeah. been acting upon they've all been act, like acts like this is what after i've done all this research and these things and then i can have a discussion you know with my brothers like okay this is the path that you've chosen where are your sources that's leading you to that choice and let's talk about them and i'll read those things and so i can understand you and we can have a great beautiful relationship because i'm invested in you and and even though we disagree on things and we don't have the same world view anymore that doesn't mean that we can't you know, have a beautiful relationship, but I don't think that could happen because I've also seen other families have just crumbled as soon as they don't have the same worldview anymore. And, and I right. think it's only because of those two elements you were talking about. One, you choose your worldview consciously and you, you know how you got there. And two, you, you understand that it's okay that other people have different belief systems than you and you can still have a working, loving relationship with them. And it doesn't threaten you. You know what I mean? Like, I am nowhere near threatened by whatever my brother or my sister or anyone else in my family chooses, if it's different than me, like at all. And and a lot of people, they struggle with that. It's like, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then we can't be friends anymore. It's like, what? <laughs> right. So I think what, like, it's just a cool yeah. thing. And I'm just realizing, I think that happened in my family because of we all went through quest all of us did you know all of us went through those discussions and 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 did those classes and learned to think that way and learned to establish that way and and so i'm like wow that's that's why we can have relationships when we don't agree like we'll like me and my sister we had like a two and a half hour huge intense debate about a very political topic topic and at the end of it, like her kids were there and they were just like, oh my gosh, you guys are like yelling at each other. You guys are going to be okay. And we're like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, oh yeah, sounds good. And they're like, wait, you're just going to walk away from that? Fine. I'm like, well, yeah, she disagrees. And this is where she stands. This is where I stand. But why does that affect our relationship or how we can talk to each other? <laughs> but your kids are just like yeah. floored. They're like, that's not how people do things. Like you shouldn't talk to each other for days now. I'm like, no, because... <laughs> You know, we, we had different opinions founded on different ways and perceptions, but they're both valid. So, yeah, I just think that was a cool epiphany that I had. I'm like, oh, wow, it came from Quest. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and imagine if that, like, if we had more people in society like that who could have the conversations and share and we could, you know, come to a better understanding of each other um, and not feel like we have to make everyone believe the exact same things that we do. I mean, I think that's one thing that makes our country so great and unique is that we do have all these different worldviews in one society. You know, that is really unique for most of history and in other lots of other places today in the world, that doesn't exist. You go to some other places in the world, it's there's one worldview there. And if you don't have it, you're an outsider. And so for us in our society to be able to have the freedoms to believe as we choose, that's huge. And it's important that we save that and not allow, um, you know, those who would want to force us to all have the same 
worldview um, to do so. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just had this, we literally were just having like a Marco Polo conversation with my brother and all my siblings. So uh, he asked like, is it possible to have multiculturalism? Because he was talking about Israel and how Israel is just a, a, a monoculture and he's like, they can't exist. Can they exist with the Palestinian people? Will they ever be able to like coincide in peace? And and he's like, is that even possible? Can you have a, a multicultural country? And then I responded back and I'm like, America has one. He's like, yeah, but are we losing it? Do we really have one? What does it look like? I'm like, yes, you can have one. If the culture number one rule is the rule of law. And you can see that's what the founding fathers yeah. were stressing so hard. It's like, no nothing can it be above the law and these rights are inherent and we put them in the constitution and we put them in the preamp in in the bill of rights you know and the first five rights show us how we keep multiculturalism right to speak right to assemble right to religion right to petition right to press if we can keep those rights going and flowing then we'll have multiculturalism because we'll allow for that to exist but if we shut any of those rights down then yes, we won't be able to keep multicultural, you know, a country that has all those things. And anyways, we had this intense discussion about it. He right. says, he disagrees a little bit because he's like, yeah, but who created the laws? I'm like, sovereignty. Sovereignty did that. <laughs> we don't have to go off that tangent, but. <laughs> um, so we don't have a lot of time left. Heidi, did you have anything you wanted to ask her? Well, no, I was just, I'm just sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, this is awesome, this conversation, because I know so many communities are hesitant to even have Quest 3, because it's it's such a deep project, you know, it's hard to find, it's hard to find mentors for it and everything, but it is so worth it. And so I just really appreciate you guys talking about it because it's giving people that vision of how important it is. I mean, not just for our kids and for ourselves, but really for society at large, that we have more people exposed to this way of, of thinking and, um, you know, I just, I, anyway, thank you for talking about it. Yay, Quest 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a, an interesting thing happen. We're reading the book, uh, Mathematicians Are People Too. Um, mm. and, the, and the very last story, I think his name is Ramajan. I, I can't say Indian names, so it's probably not. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Anyways, he he's a young Indian um, mathematician, and and he tells the story, and my my ten year old is listening to the story. She's like, "Oh, I don't want to hear this." And I was like, "Wait, why not? It's 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 just part of the story." She's like, "Yeah, but he's talking about things that I don't believe in, and I don't really want to hear about all of his gods because they're not real and." It doesn't sound like, and then like in my head, I'm like, whoa, what did I raise? Like, we're just going to not listen to other people's lives. And I'm like, I'm like having this freak out. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is really natural and normal. And her, you know, her, where she's at developmentally, she's not at that point where she needs to be able to get the tools to be able to be like, how can I have my worldview at the same time you have yours, right? She's 10. So I don't need to like, be like freaking out that my 10 year old doesn't want to listen to someone else's like <laughs> worldview. And so I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it's just interesting. You know, they don't necessarily believe in Jesus or, or those things, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we're threatened by that. You know, you can still listen to their stories and see their perspectives and hear, and hear their life and, and value their contributions that they gave to the world. And she's like, oh, okay, but it's just weird. And I don't really like it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You don't necessarily have to like it, but we're still going to read about it, you know? But it was just kind of eye-opening to, to see the progression in which I think that the Lemmy Projects see the, I, I, like, I know that Tiffany and Nellity did this on purpose, but sometimes you're like, wow, how'd you do this? But it's like, if you watch the progression, there's so many principles that have to be laid before you start challenging them in quest three, right? You don't just take a kid and just yeah. be like, let's go to quest three, ready? No, it's like, no, we're going to teach you how to think and we're going to 
challenge you on how you're thinking and we're going to build that process and then we're going to expose you to these great classics like Shakespeare where we're just going to pound into you constantly what is human nature the good or the bad and the ugly and and then we're going to like talk to you about forms and structures and principles and laws and and universal things like that and then when you have that foundation we're going to have you question it all (laughs) 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 now you can be free to ponder and question you know like because you have the tools, you know? And so I'm like, I almost had a moment where I was like, what did I do? Like, how did I create this? And then I was, I realized like, wait, we're just not there yet. We'll get there, we'll get there, but we're just not there yet. <laughs> yeah. And as homeschooling, that's one of the things that leadership education, it was just, it was so refreshing to me that I didn't have to take my love of learner and have them learn things that they weren't ready for developmentally, where the standards might say, oh yeah, you have to teach them this. Um, But I knew that they weren't ready for it. And I just, I I love that progression um, in leadership education. And then in Lemmy, even through the scholar projects, because um, yeah, I just, I'm so grateful for that, so. So there's one thing that I was, thinking that I should share and it's kind of switching gears a little bit but it's talking about because I've been in the leadership of my my commonwealth school for a long time now I've been in different positions the principal mentor and president and started you know my very first time on the board I was the parent rep and um and in building our school because the our founder Dion she started the school because she didn't have a lot of family in the Salt Lake area and she wanted to have a community for her kids. And so she started um, Shining Light Commonwealth. And we, um, she wanted to, you know, have those aunts and uncles kind of come in that community and have that sense. And it's been interesting to see um, how we've been able to keep that sense of community. Um, and it hasn't always been easy. And um, one of one of the things that has been that was difficult was that and because there was other Commonwealth schools not too far from ours, and they were always struggling to keep um, kids staying in all of the projects. Like when they would get to that high school age, they would start going. We have, and it's partially just the environment here in Utah. We have amazing options for homeschooling here. We've got amazing charter schools, both online and in person, and you can do dual enrollment. And um, so there's just a lot of different options and they were losing the high school age kids and I don't know why but we were able to um keep a lot of our kids we'd have some leave a few but most over time we've seen that most of the kids will stay through quest three and um finish that and just seeing the difference it made in in the growth of our community just kind of not having them leave at that age, but staying through kind of when they're ready to go off into the world. Um, it's been really cool to see. And I I think part of why we've been able to do that is a few years in, um, well, it was a few years after I joined, so maybe our commonwealth was maybe about four or five years old, but this time we had some really difficult situations come up. Um, some <laughs> really strong feelings, um, big emotions from parents um, about how they wanted things to go and what they wanted to do. And um, we we had to stop some classes because of it. And um, I was on the board and um, Dion was still with us then. She was the principal mentor um, then. And I love what she did because she had us come together as a board. We had like all these emergency board meetings, which, you know, those can be kind of crazy and not always so much fun but she had us come together and we're like okay that's the situation but what are the principles that we need to focus on to help solve this problem and hopefully prevent some in the future and I don't know how many hours we talked and debated as a board because we all did not see you know um, on the problems that were happening we had all kinds of different opinions and like I said they were pretty strong opinions and 
But at the end of all those long discussions, we actually created a document that for our school, we call our five habits of highly effective commonwealth. <laughs> and um, there are these principles that we, we look to to help us um, create the best community possible. I mean, we have our bylaws and those are like our rules, our commandments we have to follow. But our, our five habits are things that help us create the relationships that we want to have. And so there's one about, you know, creating vision up front creates unity, you know, having united vision up front creates unity. Um, another one, relationships are more important than issues. Um, clearly defined stewardships help in our conduct be orderly and um, and things. So, um, so anyone who's having a challenge in their school where there's there's problems or difficulties between people, I would I would challenge them because these were the principles that we found that we needed in our school. I would challenge them to have those discussions as a group of what are the principles that we need to be guiding us that will help us through whatever situations we're having. Because just going through that process of finding them is really powerful. And then referring back to them and helping others who join at a later time, helping them see the value of them is, is what I think has helped our school be really strong and, and continue forward, so. I love that you shared that. That is so awesome. I literally was just listening to Jared Kushner talk about the Palestinian thing. And they asked him like, how did you do it? And he's like, we started with first principles. And I was like, what? So he's like, you know, they, with the <laughs> Camp David Accords and like they'd had huge success with like creating peace for the first time in forever. And and then obviously we're in where now, but but they were like, yeah. he talked about, we just sat down and we we'd started with the very first principle. If we could have the ideal, what would it look like? And And don't tell me like, you know, that's not possible, but what is the first principle we're trying to achieve here? And we're gonna start there. He's like, that's how we do everything. We start at the principle, the very first one, and then and then we work our way towards that. And and that's how we get where we want to go. So, so it's like, look, like that's a, that's like a truth that is being used to solve peace problems in the Middle East. And it's gonna it'll it'll solve peace problems in the Commonwealth. Like <laughs> if we just exactly. start with the principles. But it's like one of the things that I find frustrating is that come I do this too. I'm a totally at fault. I'll be like, okay, just tell me the principle that I need to do. And just tell it to me and I'll do it. But it's like, no, I think there's an element of like, you have to go through the work to discover it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could just give everybody the five principles of healthy commons and everyone can do it. Well, I mean, we have, like I said, this was probably about 10 years ago that we created this. And, you know, we've had a lot of new families come into our commonwealth and we share it with them. We recite it at all of our meetings. We even have our scholars um, learn it and recite the five basic principles or five basic habits. And um, so there's definitely the passing it on. And, but I think we help them, like as we have new board members, we we constantly refer back to them. It wasn't like a one-time and done kind of a thing. So when something comes up during a board meeting, sometimes it's really common for one of us to be like, oh wait, you know what? Remember uh, stewardships. What are the stewardships in this situation? And are we respecting those stewardships or are we overstepping um, someone's stewardship in this? And, and how can we respect those boundaries better? Um, so I think if you create, have the principles be living active things in your commonwealth, then that's where they'll be able to catch the vision of them as well. Yeah. If you weren't the first person to go through that really hard thing, you know? <laughs> well, it's also though, I mean, I I totally agree that you need to go through it yourself sometimes in order to do it. It's not something, you know, we could all read the book, but until we actually apply the principles within it, 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 it isn't gonna, they aren't gonna be our own. And um, I know I went through a similar issue with um, my community years ago and it did, it brought us, it brought us together because we were working together to solve a problem and to, to make, you know, we had that common goal of making our community stronger. We wanted to 
fix, you know, we wanted to fix this problem, correct this issue. And it, it really, it, it worked. It, it, it did. And, um, but I love how you guys have, you actually have put it into something and it's part of your culture. It's part of your, you know, the ongoing training that you have for new members and you even are teaching it to your, to your scholars. I mean, that is really, you know, make, making you guys um, stronger. So I, I'm sure that that is one of the reasons why you guys are keeping your kids all the way through and, and yeah, that is, that is just awesome. Well, we are almost done and um, we're almost out of time. And I, we always ask at the very end um, about, you know, what would you say to someone new who is um, coming in um, or what would you tell them? You know, why does Lemmy work? And, and um, for a new person, how, how would you explain it to them and, and tell them why it does work? Okay, um, so think about that for a moment here. Um, so I would say that the biggest reason why it works is because all of the projects are based in principal learning, that it's not just about the, the knowledge part, it's not just about um, learning the dates or the subject matter, whether it's Shakespeare or, you know, about World War II or whatever the content might be of the class. It's really about what are the principles that we're trying to um, teach our scholars. And as, as mentors, we have to learn those. We kind of learn those as we're mentoring um, as well. Um, especially if you haven't, like, if you haven't had Tati's experience of going through the project as a teenager. Um, but, um, but realizing that you don't have to teach them everything that they'll ever have to know in their life right now, by the time they're 18, that in teaching them how to learn, how to think, how to find principles and um, use those in their lives, that that gives them the opportunity to, be, opportunity to be lifelong learners, to continue this process after they leave your home, um, to use it with their own families, um, and to have it be a process that's, you know, always going on. Um, yeah, so that, to me, that's, that's the biggest difference. That's, that's the unique thing of Lemmy, of why you would not just choose, you know, a curriculum out of the box that has, you know, all the content there for you. It's because you're you're missing the principles, the the teaching about why we want, why we need to keep freedom, why we need to understand truth and where it comes from, and um, how we can see the different forms and systems in society to um, be able to have a positive impact on others, um, whether, you know, just in our small community or larger communities, whatever, you know, our mission ends up being. But when you have a principle-led life, it, um, it changes how you see the world, how you live. And that's what makes it best. That's so awesome. So it's so true and it's so like again I'm just gonna say this because it came to mind was like why you were talking the image that popped into my head was my my grandfather the last six months of his life he he got a disease where it affected his lungs and so he had this um uh, he always carried around an oxygen tank with him and I was he lived in our home when and so I was looking out the window one day and I saw my grandfather walking out and like digging a hole with this like with this oxygen tank and I was like what the heck is he doing it's like why is he out there with this oxygen tank digging a hole and he's like and he was like such a teeny little man by the time you know it was really the disease was really taking a toll on his life and he was planting a peach tree and I was like what the heck is my grandpa doing he's planting a peach tree I don't know you know I'm like 12 I would think I was 14 when he passed away so I'm like 13 years old 
and he's at the Pith Peach Street. I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a weird dude. But then, like, several years later, my four year old daughter's favorite part of the summer was every year she got to plant pick those peaches off that peach tree that my grandfather planted and eat those peaches. She was the happiest kid in the whole world. And I and I think like the paradigm that you're setting up there is like, I want the benefits of this beautiful peach tree to be impacting my child well into their 50s and 60s and 70s and their grandchildren, right? I have mm-hmm. to look differently. I have to like, you know, because I was looking at grandpa's crazy, the crazy old man out there. It's like, what you doing, grandpa? But no, in his head, he knew what he was doing. He knew well, sure <laughs> what he was doing. He's like, I'm going to die someday soon. And I'm going to put this peach tree in the ground. And my great grandchildren are going to have the best summer of their lives because I put this in the ground here. And so it's like the, like, while you're talking, I just had this huge epiphany. It's like, that's the percept paradigm and perception change you have to have with your children's education. You know, they have to love the learning and the seeking of truth at 40 and 50, you know, like that's what we're working towards. So anyways, it was just a cool epiphany. I've had so many epiphanies talking to you. It's been so fun. <laughs> awesome. Because <laughs> we're talking about awesome things, amazing yeah. truths. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a kindred spirit. We can talk and have epiphanies. <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. It's been a great, great evening. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.